Welcome back. You're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast. I'm your host, Jason P. Woodbury. I edit Aquarium Drunkard, and each week I bring you a conversation with an artist about the spirit that drives their work. This week, I'm joined by Jen Wassner of Y Oak and Flock of Dimes. She planned on spending a fair amount of 2020 on the road playing guitar, keys, and singing with Bon Iver, but instead she's spending it in a manner not unlike you or I, watching TV, drinking coffee, and speculating about the end of the world. But that doesn't mean she hasn't kept busy on the musical front. This week, her duo with Andy Stack, Y Oak, releases its new EP, No Horizon, a collaboration with the Brooklyn Youth Chorus. And she's got another new EP out as well, the recently released Like So Much Desire from her solo project Flock of Dimes. Both projects are great showcases for her progressive songcraft, which pairs oblique and exploratory lyrics with swooning avant pop. She's never settled comfortably into just one mode. Scanning through her discography reveals folk, synth-driven art rock, and guitar epics but her inquisitive, intricate lyrics serve as a through line. I spoke with Jen once before for Aquarium Drunkard, and I was struck then by how remarkably real she is willing to get, and this talk is no different. It's very often hilarious, uh, and a little on the blue side, language-wise, if I'm being honest, uh, but we also do shift toward the apocalyptic occasionally. So consider that a content warning for this episode. No worries if you'd rather not listen to a major bummer right now. But if you're game, we can get started. Here's my talk with Jen Wassner. Speak to you more on the other side. appreciate you taking the time to talk today about your uh, extremely busy 2020. <laughs> it, it's so funny when people are like, because you're so busy. And I'm like, literally, I haven't changed in my pajamas in two days. But yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I guess you've probably maybe been making your the, the most of uh, 2020 in terms of uh, creative projects. But it is weird that uh, I've been doing the very best I can. Uh, under the circumstances, that's all I can. That's all I can really. That's all anyone can really do. But yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's uh, right. I don't. It's so strange because yeah, I mean, I'm even talked. I've even talked to Andy about this um, when we talk about YX. He's just like, man, you seem so busy, and I'm just like, it's all an illusion. <laughs> um, I am. I am working on music a lot, and I'm making a lot of music. Right, but. Also, all the things that I used to do that competed with my time, you know, my, you know, to, to sort of like force myself to, to carve out time to make music, they're all gone now. So yeah, I'm doing more music, but I also am still have plenty of time to do a whole lot of nothing, you know? Have you been, uh, have you been watching, uh, anything interesting on the television? Well, um, I just started watching... I may destroy you, which everyone's been going crazy about, of course. And 
It's amazing. I, I'm not all the way through it. I'm only like three episodes in, but it's incredible. Um, it's really something. Um, uh, I watched um, early on in Core when I was fucking really losing it. I watched uh, that show Midnight Gospel. Did you happen to watch that at all? I did. Um, which uh, I lo- yeah, loved. I liked it a lot too. Um, I like this. I-, I may destroy you as well. That one's heavy. It's a little bit harder. I have to be in the right zone to watch that one. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. No, for sure. I mean, both of those things are really intense watches. They're not exactly like a binge, binge yeah. situation. You know, when I'm trying to like just binge something and feel good, you know, I'll watch a, I'll watch a high maintenance or I'll watch the good place or something, you know, like where it's just like, I just want to like, have some laughs, feel good about humanity, feel some feelings, you know? Um, and then with something like Midnight Gospel, yeah, it was like, it was like a one episode at a time thing just because of the like amount of information overload, um, which, yeah. you know, is, uh, is a really cool feeling, but it's not a feeling that I can really like do for much longer than, um, you know, 30 to 45 minutes at a time. Have you... I, I I love high maintenance. I think it's maybe the, it's my, my favorite. It's yeah, like the it, best fucking show. I couldn't agree more. I think that it's one of the most human, and it's probably one of the kindest shows on television in, in terms of like it doesn't. Well, it actually shares a quality with your music. Um, I would suggest by in, in that it doesn't tell you how to feel. Um, I don't. I've been I've, in order to prepare for this interview, which I guess we've officially started. If that's let's okay. start it, yeah, <laughs> we've officially started it here. On uh, thanks for joining us on the Transmissions podcast. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, but I would say that one thing that I think that High Maintenance shares with Y Oaks Music and and Flock of Dimes and the stuff that you've been a part of is that it doesn't really tell you how to feel about anything. Uh, and I have found myself more and more, especially in 2020, drawn to things that, uh, that present information in a, in a, in a beautiful and thoughtful way, but don't necessarily dictate, um, how you're supposed to receive it. Uh, and I wondered, I wonder if that's sort of, um, I think this year has caused everybody to really wonder and think about things like that, you know? Um, what are we supposed to do with all of this knowledge? Uh, yeah, yeah. And I wonder if that's if if that's something you've been thinking about in 2020 as you're, uh, you know, putting out two new EPs and I'm sure have future plans on the horizon. Have you been thinking about that? What do we do with all of this newfound knowledge and, pers- and perspective? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I just finished writing a little press release blurb for the Wyoke song that's going to get released next week that's literally about that exact thing it's about trying to absorb an infinite amount of information into a finite brain and like what that does to your nervous system and your consciousness um i think about it a lot i've been thinking about it long before 2020 um because i'm the kind of person that i get i get very easily overloaded uh emotionally and psychologically and intellectually i feel like uh i need time and space to digest and process information. And now it just feels like everything's coming at such a clip and there's so much that you're expected to consume and process at such a pace that it, it almost is like, um, 
like I, I found, I find myself going into sort of like survival mode, like shutdown mode more often than I would like. And more often that's really helpful for myself or any of anyone else in the world. And so for me, like learning how to regulate this stuff, learning how to regulate my emotions and my feelings and, uh, to a certain extent, as much as I can, my surroundings, um, you know, being around people, knowing when I can't be around people, you know, the kind of things that like you need to sort of learn to, um, to try and make, give yourself the best fighting chance (laughs) to function. Um, and then, you know, as far as like, I mean, uh, something that you said in early in that question made me think about how, um, you know, I think art and songs and life too, it doesn't, doesn't really exist on a binary. And like, um, a lot of people, when you said that, you know, we make music that doesn't necessarily tell you how to feel, I think that's because, um, or, you know, by the intention that I would have would be to sort of capture a more nuanced emotional reality, which is that like, no one feels one feeling at a time, you know? Um, yeah, that's really, I have, that's right. I'll have, yeah. And so I'll have people be like, is this a happy song? Is this a sad song? You know, the words are happy or, but the song sounds sad or vice versa, you know? And it's just like, well, no, well, no. And yes, <laughs> I don't know. Like, because it's, it's never one or the other, just like it's people don't feel one emotion at a time. And so if you're trying to, if, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing, if I'm trying to take a snapshot of my current emotional reality, it's not, it's very rarely painting in those broad strokes of like happy, sad, you know, lonely, you know, it's like, it's a bunch of shit all mixed in together. And so, you know, in some ways when, when people create a mood, you know, it's like, it's harder to do that. It's that's, I think why our music like maybe confuses a lot of people sometimes (laughs) because it doesn't like, it doesn't really, you don't exactly know what it's trying to be a hundred percent of the time. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's a, maybe that's an asset and maybe in other situations it's a disadvantage, but who knows? Well, it might be uh, a disadvantage in terms of like getting your song placed in a Coke commercial or something. You know what I mean? Like I can, it is definitely a disadvantage. <laughs> we are one of the, we've discovered that we're one of the least licensable bands imaginable, not for lack of trying. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, mm. I think about that though. I think about how, uh, you know, there's a there's a wide gulf between prescriptive and descriptive. You know what I mean in terms of absolutely, yeah. You know when I when I'm listening to th- these recent songs from you, you know, like a song like No Place, the uh, which I think is it's maybe one of the the most sort of epic songs that you've written. Uh, you know, and, and and it's one of these songs, right, where it's strange. It sounds like it could be directly describing, you know, what we're thinking right now or what we're feeling. You know, we do not kiss. We do not shake hands. You know, there's this eerie quality of it um, speaking directly to uh, all caps, quote unquote, this moment, you know, this present moment. Which is so funny because I wrote that song like two years well, yeah, ago. And, and, <laughs> it's so yeah, strange. And, and one of the things that always surprises me talking about uh, music and songs with people who I admire, like yourself, for this podcast, is how often people say things like that to me, you know? Like, yeah, I know that this song feels like it's like a, a documentary, you know? Like a, that, I, that I shot a documentary about 
what's happening at this exact second, but I didn't. It was something that I wrote years ago, or it was something that I I, I, I put down in my notebook, you know, in 2011 or whatever. So it's 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 interesting yeah. the way um, music uh, has the ability when we when we approach it with that sort of um, desire to sort of fill in the gaps for us, and um, and I think that that's something beautiful about it. But even more beautiful than that potentiality is like this the the idea that music can uh say more than one thing at a time in terms of in terms of describing like you said nobody ever feels just one emotion every everything is sort of uh, a combination thereof and um and i think a song like no place kind of kind of gets to that uh so congrats on writing something that is so i don't know you know you, you you talked about how it's sort of about the separation between our consciousness and our physical bodies in the note that you included with it. Uh, and you said that <laughs> how, how it's possible sometimes to even forget that we have a body in the first place. And I wondered if you could, if you could tell me a little bit about that. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and, and it's so interesting to me to talk about these songs because I will say to, to, to start off that like when I was writing this music, it was for, Andy and I were writing for this, um, for a commission for the ecstatic music festival, um, which is sort of like a, a new and experimental music festival, uh, in New York that, um, you know, so we had, we had this, this goal in mind that we would be writing this piece that would probably maybe be performed with the BYC once, you know, um, it never, we never thought that we were making a record with this stuff. And, often in right, trying to write it, which was a really challenging process for me on a number of levels. I just kept stopping and being like, who the fuck is this for? Like, <clears throat> what is this fucking for? Like, do I even like this? Um, with some pr- remove and some perspective, I actually really do like it and I'm really proud of it, but it's, it was such a weird curveball for us on a number of levels. So it was just really hard to even know how I was feeling about it while it was happening. Um, so it's cool that this is coming out and people are actually like, um, interested in hearing it and, you know, listening to it. It's just really kind of blows my mind. It makes me feel like the people who have stuck with our band, um, over the years are the exact kind of, uh, open hearted, adventurous listener that I feel like any band would be lucky to have. Uh, and I'm just amazed that we're getting away with it. Um, (laughs) um, for for yeah, let's. I we should say that the the BYC is the, is the Brooklyn Youth oh, yes, Chorus. There's a there's a children's and no, not a children's choir. A young a young adults a young adults choir. It's a children's young adults yeah, choir. youth chorus. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, we were writing a bunch of weird esoteric music for choral music uh, to be you know that we would accompany, um, and and uh, it, you know it's a, it's a strange concept. I think even the people who we work with who know our music most intimately were like before they heard it, we're like, okay. And then, you know, I got a lot of notes and were just like, you know, I really didn't know what to expect with this stuff, but I'm surprised at how listenable it is. <laughs> so, um, that's what, that's what every artist prays that they hear the phrase surprisingly mm-hmm. listenable. Yeah. When, when someone's describing, their I work, loved right? Yeah. I loved That's one of the best compliments I could possibly receive. Surprisingly listenable. Um, yeah. So as far as the whole, going back to the whole, like having a body thing, I, I think I've been thinking about a lot that, and when I was writing this before, obviously before I could have known that, um, you know, that this whole 
COVID nightmare would be unfolding. Um, I think that the things that are, that are happening now are not the, the issues and the problems are not new problems. They're just exaggerated to the point of extremity because of the circumstances, you know, you know, wealth disparity or racism or, you know, like, um, the, the existence of our, of our, selves more primarily like in a digital realm than a physical realm. Like these are all things that were, were happening. And then COVID just sort of snapped them into overdrive and made them, made them life or death. It's, but they were all there. They were there before they've always been there. Um, so it's not like I predicted the future as much as I like noticed the present and then the present got even shittier. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah. But but one of the things that I struggle with the most and have always struggled with and continue to struggle with now um is the feeling of having an identity outside of my physical body and presence. Um I I really really am profoundly uncomfortable with social media I, for a number of reasons which sounds like the most anachronistic thing you could possibly say at this point. I feel like the oldest fucking person alive, even just talking about it. But, but it's really how I feel. It's incredibly anxiety inducing. And I think it's because I tend to move through the world, um, primarily using my intuition and to like, sort of like act as a a gauge or like a, a, a sort of radar for, um, helping me to know how to have, authentic interactions with other people. And I can't use that tool in that space. Um, so not only can I not read other people properly, but I also can't, don't feel like I can be read the way that I want to be read and understood and heard, uh, and seen. So it just, is this like weird, it's like this, you're, you're propping up this weird, one dimensional straw man person of that's you that a lot of people are just like for the vast majority of people that is you like there is no other you there is. And, and then like, it's just that, that entire premise is so profoundly uncomfortable to me that when I even think about trying to interact in a authentic, genuine way in those spaces, I just freeze up and start to panic because I don't feel like I have all the tools that I need at my disposal. And this anxiety has been with me for some time. And one of the things that I've tried to do to combat my own anxiety is to learn how to focus more on my body as a part of the picture. Um, because you know, people who have a lot of big thoughts and feelings, creative people are one of those, you know, uh, they tend to dwell maybe an inordinate amount in their brains to a point where it's unhealthy And so one of the ways that I've tried to combat my own anxiety is to learn how to move into, fall into my body a little bit more, um, uh, by exercising, doing yoga, meditating, you know, things that sort of like, that sort of try and heal that separation between body and mind, or at least like bring them more into balance. Um, and I don't think that I would be able to function. I mean, it's just with, without those coping mechanisms, without sort of understanding, I feel weird. I got to do that. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to go take a bike ride. I'm going to go do some yoga, whatever it is. Like I would not be a functioning human being. Like I would be a wreck. 
And so, yeah. Yeah. And so thinking about, you know, when I wrote the song, no place, um, I had just read somewhere. I don't even remember where, but I had read an article about how, um, cause I you know, was thinking I'm, I'm, I'm writing for these, for these kids, these young people whose lives are like very different from my own. And I'd read an article about how teenagers were spending like a record amount of time alone because they were not sharing space with each other because they were primarily using their phones and the internet to like have, that's where they're like the majority of their social interactions were taking place. Um, and so that was sort of the thing that I was thinking about is like having a developing brain and having so much of, uh, your existence happen in some sort of like strange semi solitude, you know, or it's like, it's happening, uh, in your, in your brain and in your imagination and in this other separate space, but it's not actually happening in the physical world. Um, so, and just thinking about like what that would do to a developing brain and what that does to all of our brains, um, right. and the right. loss of the physical and the sensual, um, and the, and the corporeal is like a weird, uh, <clears throat> sad thing to grieve. Um, so that's what I was thinking about. And that's what I'm still thinking about. And that's one of the reasons why what's happening feels especially bleak to me. I mean, uh, uh, one of the many reasons, you know, um, and it feels like a real, it feels like a real loss. And my hope is that it's, is that we find a way to come back from it somehow because it's no substitute. There's, there is no substitute for sharing space, physical, physical space with another person. There's just, there isn't. I, you know, I, the other day I was, uh, had a conversation with Justin Gage, the founder of Aquarium Drunkard, and we were going back and forth and he mentioned that, you know, uh, he's been on so many video conferences and calls and, and, uh, that, that, you know, and I share this, I think probably everybody does to some degree, at some point, at some point you start to feel completely burned out on that, you know? Um, and, and he mentioned that he had heard the phrase bio break kind of like popping up more and more. Like I need to take a bio break, which means something like I need to get off the computer so I can go Whoa. eat or I need to, or I need to go take a pee. That you sounds know? like a and dystopian like, are, video game. Like that's well, fucking insane. I, right. <laughs> well, like, and that's the, that's the thing is that, um, you know, I keep thinking and my, my sort of quarantine project has been, uh, really thinking about the idea of an apocalypse, uh, and, and, and dystopia and science fiction realities and all that stuff. So that's really where my brain has been. Um, and it is funny though, because we have this, this sense, or we've had this sense, at least in our imagination, that when things go south, they're going to go south in this really dramatic Mm -hmm. way, right? Where there's going to be a a break. And then everything that happened after this was Terminator 2. Precisely, yes, yes, Uh, yes, absolutely. And what we realize now is, of course, that that's not how it works at all. It's a slow, slow um, process that's already happening in front of our eyes. Right, and and I feel like that's part of what we have to start grappling with as a a culture, as a people, is, is... is really the the Anthropocene, mm-hmm. you know, like um, that that it's not going to be uh, a big moment where everything is clear what has happened. It, that it's going to be a, a a slow 
you know, sort of roiling a, a, a apocalypse. And, uh, and I mean this as a compliment. I think that your music speaks very well oh, to that. Oh, golly. In terms of... Soundtrack of the slow roiling apocalypse. I'll take it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, uh, to some degree... I mean, I'm not 100% making a joke I know, because I'm it's not true. Um, this is, I'm happy that you bring yeah. this up because, like, this is all I th- want to think about and talk about. But, but it's only there aren't very many people who I feel like are willing to go there with me right now, which I totally understand because, you know, it's like everyone's got to cope with the reality in the way that the best serves them. And I would not fault anyone for not for wanting to... to avoid uh and and detach from this level of uh of darkness but for me yeah. it just feels it's i feel better when i'm able to realistically acknowledge what i think is is happening um and it doesn't people are different so it doesn't work for everyone and i get that and i try and be very sensitive to that because it's obviously a very stressful time and so I don't ever want to, you know, let the way that I, I cope with the world negatively affect someone else's headspace. But there aren't sure. a lot of people I feel like who are willing to really like <clears throat> acknowledge or, or really look at what is happening or what might be happening, what might be to come. Um, and I, I felt that we were in a, a sort of, uh, we're watching the sort of, you know, slow motion extinction of the world as we know it for some time. And this is just sort of like another building block in that process. Um, and it's been something that I have actively made choices in my life around responding to what I, what I I mean, God knows I'd love to be fucking wrong. I'd love to be proven wrong. I'd love human innovation or to come together and, and like, fix or solve what I see as a sort of unfixable, unsolvable problem. But I personally, I just don't see it happening. Um, that doesn't mean that I feel like, Oh, I give up. Like, you know, let's just let the world in and let everyone die. It's, it means that, you know, I'm trying to be realistic about what a future might be or not be. And then also not use that as an excuse to stop trying to contribute in ways, uh, as best I can to sort of like prevent, that from happening. But more and more these days, I feel like the idea of fixing the world or saving the world or saving humanity is so far outside of what of pos- the possible for me that instead what I focus on is, you know, if, okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and fucking whatever. If you think, if you do believe in any sort of, any sort of spiritual realm and and if you believe if you subscribe to the premise that <clears throat> people are brought to this earth at certain times for certain reasons even if you don't think this is real this just is an interesting brain exercise then the question would be why am i here right now why am i here on this earth in this society at this moment in history and what is what what purpose could i possibly could my existence possibly have that that mean that is the reason that I am specifically here right now at this moment. And for me, you know, I don't have I'm not a I'm not an organizer. I'm not 
Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a healer. I, I don't, I'm not a scientist, but like I can use my sensitivity and my empathy and my powers of observation and the talents that I have to create something that might provide solace and strength to others, even if it doesn't save the world, even if it doesn't do anything concrete, like we as humans, we need that. We need reasons to live like emotionally, psychologically. We need, we need our morale to be, you know, we need to be seen. We need to be heard. We need to be understood. We need to have hope. Um, we need to feel comforted. We need to feel love. We need to feel like there are things on earth that are worth sticking around for. And so for me, it's like, okay, well, if I subscribe to that premise, if I do that brain exercise, then like my purpose is to just make as much as I can and give it to the world and the hope that it provides that sense of comfort or motivation or whatever it is to other people to help them survive in this fucking bleak, harsh space. And maybe by some sort of domino effect, if one of those people also happens to be a person that, you know, is able to invent something that turns the tide of climate change or, you know, whatever it is, like, then maybe like that's, you don't necessarily always get to see every effect of the things that you do and the way that they, they unfold in, in the world. So that's sort of what I, that's what I tell myself. That's how I like, cause I, I certainly have my moments of being like, Oh, the world's falling down around you and you are a, are a solipsistic, narcissistic, selfish person who just sits around and writes your little songs and it doesn't do anything of that real value. But like, I don't have any other skills, <laughs> you know? So it's like, <laughs> I don't know what else to do. This is what I do. Um, so I, you know, I have my moments where I, like, I question it all, but then I'm just like, well, I'm here. This is who I am. This is what I'm capable of. I'm just going to try and do it to the best of my ability. And like what happens after that is kind of not up to me, you know? If you okay. Let's take a minute to hear from our sponsors. Creators, are you tired of being paid in clicks and likes? Social media and streaming platforms help people find your work, but getting you paid is another story. Patreon is built for creators, not advertisers. Using Patreon, you can develop a sustainable income source by offering a monthly membership to your fans. You'll get paid, and in turn, they'll get access to your exclusive community premium content and a chance to become active participants in the work that they love. We went back and forth a lot when we were thinking about starting a Patreon for Aquarium Drunkard. We really didn't want people to feel like we were bugging them for money. But at the same time, running an independent outfit is really hard and it requires resources. And you have to have some way to get, you know, get paid for doing this. So Patreon for us has, has really worked out. It's been a great way for us to not only uh, build up the income that we need to keep things like the Transmissions podcast going, but also to pay our contributors and to uh, get cool stuff to the people who care most about us. It's created this space where people can interact directly with 
us at Aquarium Drunkard, and that's a that's a cool thing. And we're really excited to have Patreon on board supporting the Transmissions podcast. So, if you're struggling with a creative system that doesn't seem like it's working at all for you, sign up for Patreon. Head over to patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com, and start building the steady income stream you deserve. All right. Let's get back to this episode of Transmissions. is a remarkably beautiful set of thoughts that you just that you just rolled out um thanks i think of course on one hand right the first thing i thought was you know the idea that we are put on this earth for any specific purpose and i think this is something that probably anybody with half a brain and a heart has been asking themselves lately you know what am i doing here is what i'm doing of any value to anybody Does any of this matter? I can only speak for myself, of course, Jen, but I'm, you know, to be somebody who creates music is one thing, right? To be somebody whose job it is more or less to talk about what music people have created, uh, (laughs) certainly has, at various points, I have uh, asked myself, oh, Jesus Christ, does this even mean anything, you know? Um, But... There's something that you said in the the some of the writing that accompanies the new Flock of Dimes EP as well, which is your solo project outside of Wyoke. You know where you said that. Um, well, the album, the EP is called "So Much Like Desire," and you said that you know desire is the first step to imagining a better world. And when when you were just talking, I was thinking about how desire and imagination always live together right like these are the these are two things Mm -hmm. that without one or the other um you don't end up with anything of much value you know uh and and so i think that um i think that the idea that we have a desire for something to exist that's different than what we're feeling right now is is probably crucial to our survival as as a species um and so yeah. cultivating that and creating a space where that sort of uh, thing can live and dwell is extremely important. Um, it's not the only thing that's extremely important, but it is important. And so I, I think that, like, you know, the idea that um, we're put on this earth to do something, I I feel like I know there's probably some people who think that maybe that's a little bit of a an overreach, you know, uh, and, and I don't necessarily mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. disagree with them in, 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 in that regard, I, yeah. but I will say that if you are an artist, you have to believe that I think is true in order for your art to, to mean something because you have to want, you have to, yeah. you have to want to say something. And I don't think that at this point, considering how dire and considering how, uh, desperate our times are, 
I don't have a lot of patience for any sort of art that doesn't want to address that right now and doesn't want to doesn't want to have meaning doesn't want I, I mean I, I, I there, there's lots of art I love that's escapist and fun and I like I, li- I totally, like throwing yeah. on a Fast and the Furious movie sometimes you know uh, <laughs> absolutely sometimes you just need to turn your brain on 100 percent but yeah. at the same time um, mm-hmm. listening to these two projects you know I, I just I feel like um I feel like there's a lot of value in cultivating desire and imagination and sensuality and um, an experience. And and I wonder if, you know, part of when you're talking about the, the body, you know, I think that we all, when we think about the state of the environment, when we think about the state of our of our times, you know, it's easy to get depressed. I mean, I get depressed thinking about it. I'm depressed right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to put a content warning on yeah. this podcast. Like, trigger warning. warning. Bummer. Yeah, yeah tr- trigger warning. Shit gets unfortunately way too real. Um, but no, like, you know, there's this sense that we're, that we're all part of this crisis, right? You know? Um, and I wonder if that's not always the, 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 the most helpful way to consider it. And, um, and so I wondered if, if, when you talk about thinking about the body, thinking about uh, sort of being embodied and physically having uh, a, a sense of place in the world, you know, um, how do you reconcile sort of that 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 sense of feeling at home in yourself with the fear that this planet is becoming a place that might not be habitable for? not only ourselves but but others i mean is that something that you that you sort of hope to if not directly address in your your songs at least create space where that sort of thing can um be examined and maybe turned over and and, and thought about right yeah i mean it is very very difficult to um it's it's difficult to explain because um i i love life you know i love being alive I love people and I love, you know, I love waking up and being on this planet and having a chance to connect with the world around me every day. It's like a precious, precious gift. Uh, And to be able to have the incredible privilege of being able to observe that and observe my experience and have, you know, attempt to turn that into art and have anyone at all connect with it or listen to it is, is, all I could have ever wanted for myself. Um, the thing about wanting or desire, um, it's, it's such an important part, like like you said, of, of, of imagining a future in which, you know, things could be better or more just, uh, or safer. Um, and, um, but the reality is the ability to truly be at peace and be satisfied only exists within your own brain because the desire treadmill, the trap of it is that like, if you start to think that you can control your internal landscape by changing your external landscape or that you can achieve some set of factors that, will make you feel permanently happy or permanently at peace or permanently at ease. 
um, is a complete fallacy. It's a complete myth. It doesn't work. And it just, it just programs your brain to never be able to actually be satisfied in a, in the present moment and enjoy the sort of difficult, imperfect, flawed reality that you're living in. Um, and I've been, I've been very guilty of that. That's been one of the hardest things to wake up to in, you know, the past four months or so it's been the most difficult thing for me has been, um, realizing the extent to which I, my like mental health hinged upon like a, a, a degree of control or like thinking that I had a degree of control. And it was like, it manifested as like workaholism or planning everything in my life out to the minute or, um, or just sort of like having a very, um, very rich and detailed vision of what my future was going to look like and exactly how everything was going to play out. And it worked for a while because, um, you know, there was nothing to disrupt it. It was working for me. So I just kept doing it. And then, and then everything came crashing down and I, I had to sort of confront the reality of like how, there was no foundation. <laughs> like, you know, like what you take all those things away and, and, and I was just absolutely floundering. Like, um, and so, um, for me, it's been actually a really important process of like rebuilding from the ground up in some ways. And I think that, uh, what I've, it sounds like a cliche and it sounds corny because you hear about it so much. And I've certainly heard about it my whole life and rolled my eyes and been like, okay, you know, but like, but I really do think that like learning to inhabit the, and find the joy in the imperfect present moment is, is really the secret to all of this and the meaning to all of this, because there will never be a moment that is, fully without, you know, some sort of imperfection or difficulty. And the future has never been, I mean, we maybe felt more like it was, but the future has never been really a guarantee. And so, you know, I don't, I, I, in many ways, the, the way that I feel about this, where we're at and where we're heading to a lot of people, it sounds really dark. Like I'm kind of just like no future. I'm like my, my whole vibe right now is no future. And like, not in a way that I don't want to live or that I don't love being alive or that I don't want to try and be on this planet and enjoy what is beautiful about life as long as I can, but more in a way that like, it allows me to be like, stop thinking about that. What are you doing today? Like, like, what are you doing right now? Can you, can you call your friend and tell them you love them? Can you work on a song? Can you, you know, like go for a walk and look at some nature, you know, like it. And so in a way it's like this, this very dark mindset of being like, yeah, I don't think we're going to make it like has actually led to a strangely peaceful and positive sort of day to day mood for me, which is like a weird thing to, to, to like think about, because of course it involves an immense amount of privilege. Like I'm safe. Um, I have my needs met. That is not the case for everyone in this moment right now. You know, absolutely not. Yeah. So like, it's weird because in some ways I'm like to, to be able to benefit at all in any way from such a, such a difficult and terrible moment in history is a guilt, guilt inducing idea. But also, you know, 
Like it's not, it does, again, it doesn't exist in a binary. Like I can well, try, you know, I can try and give back in ways that are, are, uh, substantial, to, you know, to people who are less fortunate than myself, but it's also, it's okay if I do that. And also like, I, I, I try and like integrate and learn like, and, and evolve and try and be at peace with myself in my own life. You know, those things can coexist. Well, I think that that's, that's absolutely correct. And I also think that when we, get, when we talk about imagination, you know, and when we talk about uh, art's role in cultivating imagination, part of it is the reminder that the, the present and the future are not unconnected things, right? So, mm-hmm. so every, every action that we, that we make uh, in the present uh, is is that thing becoming the future, you know? So, so I think that we are oftentimes trapped in sort of binaries where we think that what we do right now is somehow different than what will be happening in the future. But the truth is, it, it, it's we're creating the future every every day. We are we are active participants in what happens. Um, and I think that maybe there's a tendency in our particularly online uh, existence to think that uh, that the only way that we create the future is by sort of um, dictating it and shaping it. Um, but that's not necessarily, you know, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, but I do think that there isn't, there's a, there's a relationship between right now and, 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 then, you know, and, and that in order for us to have a positive future, we have to recognize that we can, we can take steps. We can, I mean, right now there's a lot of impossible things being discussed. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, that's, that's the way that it's, it's often talked about, you know, uh, you know, I'm probably, I'm not qualified to speak really about you know, uh, liberation or, you know, uh, or, or, or abolishing structures, you know, in a lot of ways, but, but right now as a, as a people, there is a strong desire, like a yearning to have conversations about how we could collectively radically reimagine our lives together. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I think that art is a really important part of that. Um, again, not the only part of it, not the most important part, maybe, I don't know. But 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 it does have sort of a, a, a role to play. And I think that your your records, you know, I think that they are sort of healing records in a lot of ways because they they create the space to live in that ambiguity. They create a space that celebrates the ambiguity through beauty and through making cool sounds. There's a lot of really cool <laughs> sounds on your EPs. Um, and so, you know, um, I, I guess maybe this is a very long way around the, the, the territory I'd like to cover, but um, mm-hmm. I think maybe when people think about healing music, they think about music that accomplishes an aim. I listened, mm-hmm. now I'm healed, you know, or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, that feels a little bit utilitarian to me, and that's mm-hmm. not necessarily, uh, I think the purpose of art is not to, I think maybe it's to continually heal, um, 
And so I wondered if, you know, in addition to the music you're making, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about some records that uh, you found yourself returning to or, mm. uh, you know, you know, in quarantine. Have you, is there, is there, where, where has your ear been drawn lately? I have been listening to, well, before I go on and talk about my listening habits, I'll just say that something you, something you said made me think about something else, which is that, um, healing, you know, there's this idea that, you know, healing is the point of it is to accomplish an aim. Um, I, without going too deep into it, I have a very, um, a process sort of ingrained in me and interpersonally of being, being a person that wants to try and help and, and fix and care for others to a sort of sometimes unhealthy degree. Mm, And, uh, it comes from a good place, but it's actually, um, in many ways, pretty counterproductive. Um, and one of the things I've learned in therapy, uh, is that, one of the most healing practices that exists is just to bear witness to someone and let them be seen in all of their present complexity and imperfection. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Rather than just immediately, like I didn't realize I was doing this, but I've been doing it my whole life and I'm just recently realizing it, but like I'm a perfectionist I'm very hard on myself. I am in a constant state of critique with myself of how do I fix this? How do I make myself better? How do I optimize my body and brain and heart? Um, And when you think about yourself that way, it's hard for that not to sort of bleed out into your relationships with others, especially when the the people that you care about are going through something difficult. Um, But I've had to unlearn this habit of like, immediately being like, do this, try this, think about this way, you know, like sometimes the best and most healing thing that you can do for yourself and for another person is to sort of like witness. Um, yeah. And not, in, and not, yeah. And not have to say, this is what this means right now. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like just sort of, just to sort of hear, just to sort of sit with and hear and, 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 yeah. And bear witness. I think that's why, I mean, that's why we're all just constantly being like, look at me, look at me. Here's what I made today. Here's what I did. You know, it's like, we just want to be witnessed. We just want to be seen. Um, yeah. you know, so, um, anyway, as far as things I've been listening to, I always have a hard time with this question because I feel like my brain just sort of blanks out. Um, but one thing that we're talking about specifically about like healing music you know, an artist that I spent a lot of time with and I just keep coming back to over and over again is Beverly Glenn Copeland, um, specifically the Keyboard Fantasies album, which, you know, I heard a couple of years ago for the first time and like really profoundly changed me. Um, and it's still to this day, one of the most instantly, like, it's like a, it's just like a shot to the heart of like peace and calm. Um, Uh, I really like, I've been one of the, like, when it comes to songs, just like song songs, one of the artists that I feel like I've been going really deep on, uh, lately is Aldous Harding. Um, I think her music is, um, has this deceptively simple, uh, sort of, sort of outline to it that I've discovered 
is just gives endlessly with attention. Um, I've been trying to sort of cultivate in my listening habits, less jumping around from thing to thing and more like looking at something in depth and letting it kind of unfold in all its, you know, like say everything that it has to say to me and, and her music and her songs, the economy of language is just truly miraculous. Like what she's able to, I don't, it's like one of those things, especially as a songwriter, when you're just like, I want to figure out how you did it. How did you get away with this? You know, like how did you make this work? How did you sell this line? How did you pack this kind of meaning into such a, such a short little turn of phrase? Like, oh man, it's just, I've been, so I've been like really, really digging deep on that, um, on her, both of her records or the most recent two records of hers. Um, been listening to a lot of grouper, um, you know, like things that I feel like you put on and you're able to sort of like create a peaceful space for yourself. Um, there's nothing like putting on a grouper album and just staring at the album cover for a while. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No kidding. Totally, totally. Uh, it's a whole universe. I saw her at Hopscotch Festival a couple years ago, and it was a midnight show after a day of like running around in the North Carolina heat, you know, like so everyone was exhausted, but I was like, I'm not going to miss this show. And it was just, you know, her and her, ta- her noise table and a grand piano in this dark auditorium. It was air conditioned and dark and with seats. And I, it was so late and I was so tired and I, I immediately like fell into this like half awake, half asleep state where I was like seeing the show, but also kind of dreaming. And it was like, honestly, one of the most incredibly powerful performance experiences I've ever had, partially because she was amazing and partially because my brain space was so bizarre. It was just like a, such a, it was like, you know, being in a womb or something. Um, yeah. So that was that was cool. Um the I let the Juliana Barwick records that this act specifically circumstance synthesis which I think is sort of like a stopgap EP kind of thing that she did before her most recent record that came out I think is really something. Um it's really beautiful. Um uh let's see. What else? What else? What else? Um I my friend Roberto um Halado Negro um his last record, I still haven't really gotten over that one. Um, even though it sort of feels like I shouldn't be allowed to say it cause I, I played a little bit on it and so did Andy, but only a very little bit enough <laughs> that it's not, I feel like I'm still allowed to listen to it and it's okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're allowed to listen to it probably. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think I'm allowed to listen to it. Um, let's see, what else have I been in? I mean, yeah, it's always, I always feel like, I mean, I've always been like, I feel like someone who really is able to sort of unite this like sense of unpacking the complexity of this, the world and the present moment. And also having an undercurrent of like deep emotional resonance is Jenny Vall. I've always been a really big fan of, of what she does. Mm, um, yeah. Yeah. And I love, I love her music. Um, and it's, 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 it feels, it feels very, uh, of, of this moment now, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty moving, moving thing. Um, what else? Um, I don't know. I mean, that's probably enough, right? <laughs> There's tons more. I just always blank out on it. 
You well, I mean, you you blank out. Uh, you blanked out a lot less than I usually do when asked that question. So um, you spent a lot of time on the road with uh, Bon Iver recently, um, I did. and uh, and you worked on I I uh, a little bit, which is a record that. I think I would apply that same description, the same beautiful description that you applied to Jenny's music. I would apply to to that record. Mm-hmm. Um, I wondered, uh, were you planning on spending a fair amount of 2020 on the road with with Boney Bear? Yep, that was the plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that yeah. that didn't happen. Um, Clearly not. No, it did not happen. That was yeah. There we had a we had a a really beautiful year of uh, touring scheduled a lot of really really cool stuff on the books that I was really looking forward to and we have a lot of makeup shows on the books for 2021 that I, I I'm you know no one really knows what's ahead of course but I'm not and I'm kind of not really even expecting those to happen um I hope to be proven wrong by that but you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised if that were the case. Um, I've got my I've got my fingers crossed, but I wondered, you know, uh, I wondered if you could try to to sum up a little bit of what working with Bon Iver um, taught you uh, about your creative practice in general or how it informed it. Um, well, Justin and I are very similar, as it turns out. We have a lot in common. We've become very close friends and, um, and it's really, it's been really, um, I've been very fortunate to observe the ways in which he tries to navigate his, his experience, which is obviously like very, very different from mine. Uh, and something that I think about a lot. So like when I, you know, I got, I went down to work on the record and that was sort of the most time we'd ever spent together and just kind of getting to know each other and getting to know all those guys. And, um, you know, they, he surrounds himself with really incredible, wonderful people. Um, everything, everybody in that organization, like top to bottom, they're just incredible, big hearted, caring, well-intentioned people with, you know, with good hearts um, that are really trying to do something good and take care, take care of their people. Um, and that's because of him. I mean, he's, he's a wonderful human being and he really cares about other people and he takes care of the people in his organization, uh, more than you could possibly expect. Um, it goes, it's really above and beyond. So I can't say enough good about him as a human being. And I can't say enough, uh, about how grateful I am to be a part of that organization, um, just as, as a person, you know, bearing witness to how another person handles an immense, what is an immense amount of pressure and responsibility at the end of the day. Um, and so when I started, you know, touring, touring, uh, started to, to ramp up, uh, right before I, um, went out there to do rehearsals and get started, you know, we're, we're going to play all these crazy big arena shows and stuff. Um, I went out and I played, uh, a couple of shows with my, my good friend, Madeline Kenny. Um, you know, Andy and I, uh, co-produced her upcoming record with her and I produced her last record. So we've been collaborators for a really long time. And Andy and I will sometimes, you know, be her backing band, um, for, for shows cause it's fun. Um, I saw I you, 
I saw you back her up in in Phoenix here at oh, the Crescent cool. Ballroom. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, totally. It was it was so cool. And she's on my list to ask about too. So I'm glad she's that we got the there already. She's the fucking best. I'll talk about her more. But um but yeah, so anyway, I, I go out and Andy and I play this show at, at at a place called The Hole, which is like, you know, literally like a basement garage in Oakland for like, you know, 30 people. And it was ecstatic. It was so, you know, we played, we had just finished we tracked all the songs, basics for the songs that became Sucker's Lunch in a day at Tiny Telephone because we couldn't afford more than a day. So we'd just come off of this like breakneck, crazy bananas, like learning all the songs and then recording all the songs right away. And then we're like, let's fucking just play a show. So we just played this show. It was wonderful. And then the next day I'm off and I'm in an arena you know, like on a riser with like a bunch of crazy lights. And, you know, it's just this thing where I like how many people get to experience the, the spectrum of this, this, like, you know, whatever it is to play music, uh, as a job or like, even just as a, as a calling, how many people get to sort of like see both sides to the extent that I am right now, you know, it was just what it's this really wild moment of being like, wow, crazy. Um, and it tells you, it's told me a lot. I've learned a lot from it in that, like, uh, I think a lot of people get in this weird head trap of just thinking that like bigger and better and more is going to be like, it's going to fix them or solve them or make them feel, um, like they've made it or like they have something that they're looking for. And I think, um, one of the things that I've learned just in general, not just from working with Bonnie Bear, but like just from working in music in general. And I feel fortunate to sort of have had the opportunity to learn this lesson firsthand, which is that like, it's not like, that's not it. You know what I mean? Like you can get there and some people do very few people do, but you can get there and still feel weird and still feel unfulfilled and still feel confused and still struggle. And, you know, it's like, it is, it is so fundamentally important that people understand, you know, that like, that that's not it. You know what? Like, it's just not, it's, it's not a solution. It's not necessarily something worth working towards in its own right, because it will never provide the sense of like meaning and fulfillment that comes from just having, having a, a, an authentic relationship to your own creative practice and the people you love in your life. That's it to me. That's it. I mean, all I want is that and to be able to fucking eat, you know, like I don't give a shit about the other stuff. And in many ways, with Justin or with like, I don't know, a lot of people that I know and who are more successful than me, like it's, it's a burden and a complication that as much as it is like a a blessing and a resource, you know, it's not to say that it's not, you know, it doesn't make life easier in some ways, Sure, but it makes life a lot more difficult in a lot of very real ways. Um, so I don't know, I guess, um, that's maybe an important lesson to have taken away. 
from yeah. it. And, um, and I feel, again, I feel really, really fortunate to know him. He's very, he's very dear to me. And like all those guys are, um, incredibly talented and good hearted people. And the fact that they have, um, have welcomed me into the fold and that they believe in me and what I'm capable of makes me feel more grounded in my own, what, you know, I bring to the world too. So it's been a very, it's been a very important experience and it's one that I really hope to continue to have someday in the future somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I loved, I mean, I loved seeing live, live stuff with you on guitar and vocals from from the ii tour and it was just like you elevated things in such a cool way and and added elements um and 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 i wonder you know working with uh let's say that the ii record is a a fairly produced record i think that would maybe be i think it's a fair i think it's a fair assessment Yeah. It's a fair, fairly produced record. Yeah. So when you work with someone like Madeline uh, at this point, you know, what kind of thoughts do you have about being a producer? Um, what's your job when you get into the studio with, with, with Madeline? Does it feel different than what you do uh, with, with just Andy and Wyoke or on your own with Flock of Dimes? Uh, or does it, or does it have some some commonalities? What's what's it look like? Well, I think the reason why it works for me and Maddie is that like it's very effortless because we agree so much about you know our tastes and um, what we're drawn to aesthetically and um, what we're trying to communicate with our music is you know we're kind of in sync with each other in this way that is rare and. What I, I'm realizing is that I don't think that I would be a particularly effective producer for just anything. Because again, like I said, so much of what I do has to do with um, intuition and feeling and just kind of like this sort of weird sense of like knowing or understanding how something should be or how it should go. Um, and um, I without that, like if I don't connect to what someone's doing, I don't think I'd be really be able to be that helpful. You know, like I think there are some people that are able to be more objective and just sort of be like, Hey, maybe this isn't a hundred percent my thing, but like, how can I make it better? Or how can I make it the best version of what it is? Um, and that's a real skill. And I'm not, I'm not sure that that's the kind of producer that I am. Um, and I think that the reason why Maddie, her music is so important to me and she is, she is a friend is she's also become one of my dearest friends, you know, someone that I talk to almost daily and, um, has been an incredible support, um, to me. Uh, you know, we, we just understand each other in a way that makes working together and collaborating together creatively. Very, very simple. Um, you know, the first record that we made, uh, perfect shapes, which was me and Maddie and our friend Camille playing drums. It was just the three of us, you know, working together and we made the record and then we, we sent it off to be mixed. The first round of mixes came back and she and I independently made mix notes 
And they were like exactly the fucking same, you know, it was just like this, 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 <laughs> yeah. this, I don't like the drums are too bright. I like that, you know, like, and of course, like all these decisions are like objective, subjective decisions. There's no like right or wrong when it comes to making records, but we just tend to have like a lot of the same sensibilities. And so it just sort of feels effortless. Um, and I'm, you know, I've played music with enough people to sort of know what a rarity that is. And also her music really, really speaks to me. It has from the jump, like the way that she writes and um, the way that she connects to the world and the, the way that she feels things and how she expresses herself just makes sense to me. And so I feel when I'm working on her music, I'm constantly pinching myself, just being like, <clears throat> I'm going to keep coming back to this record for the rest of my life. And I get to make, I get to make decisions on how it sounds right now. Like, that's crazy. That's so cool. You know, like, yeah. so I don't know. I just don't really feel like I ever want to work on anything that I don't feel that way about. And lucky for me, I don't really have to, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jen, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to discuss all of this with me and to go so deep into things. Um, I, I had, written out a joke because when I last interviewed you and Andy for Aquarium Drunkard, hmm. we spoke at length about the Metallica documentary, Some Kind of Monster. I had written a joke that we could just talk about uh, some kind of monster for this entire podcast. But since we talked about other stuff, we'll have to have you on again in the future. We can do an all Metallica episode at some point. Man, so. I, I think I honestly revisited that film somewhat regularly. And I love to tell people about it because it really is... It captures I mean, a certain something about being in a band, the, the way that those interpersonal relationships unfold over, over the years, that it's, it's really special. So, Yeah, I think it's one of the all-time great rock docs. So, yeah. um, so we'll have to have you back to discuss that more. But I really appreciate you taking this time on a Saturday morning, and I hope you have a good rest of your weekend. And thank you so much for these beautiful new uh, pieces of music and for everything that you've done. And uh, for taking the time to, to hang out with me and talk. It is truly a pleasure. Honestly, I will talk to you anytime. It is such a delight to be able to have like a real conversation with someone about life and music and stuff that feels, it feels very genuine. It really is. It is, it is a, a rare bright spot in the, uh, in the, the, the treadmill of, of self-promotion that I'm currently trapped on. So, um, I thank you for, for that. It is, it, is a, it is a true pleasure. and um, Thank you so much. Uh, that means the world to me. And, and we'll talk again soon, I'm, I'm sure of it. For sure. Awesome. Well, have a All great right. day. Take care. You too. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. going to bring this week's episode to a close. Thanks for hanging out with us. More often than not, these talks have been really helpful for me in this strange as hell year of 2020, and I hope that the same is true for you. Feel free to let us know what you think, what you'd like to hear more of on the podcast, your general thoughts, by reaching out to Aquarium Drunkard on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can find me personally at all of those places as well, at Jason P. Woodbury. 
If you dig Transmissions, go ahead and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, which will help people find out about the show. Or you can skip the digital middleman and just tell people about it. You can get Transmissions on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get shows, or direct at AquariumDrunker.com. Remember, you can support us over on Patreon and score bonus content in the process, like Emma Madden's 10-year anniversary audio essay about Joanna Newsom's Half One on Me, which is going up this week. Tune in to the Aquarium Drunkard Show every Wednesday night, transmitting from Northeast Los Angeles via satellite on Sirius XMU Channel 35, 7 p.m. California time. I'll be back next week with another talk through the weirdness. Until then, be well. Be well.